Hi, I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, a podcast where culture and entertainment meet. I write about movies here at The Times, and like most anyone else these days, I also find myself watching more than a little television. Between movies and TV, a frequent topic of conversation among my colleagues here on the entertainment staff at the paper, is how tough it is for any of us to just keep up. So this show is about the stuff that we're watching and how we watch it. The LA Times movie staff recently published the Fall Movie Sneaks, a preview of many of the don't-miss titles coming out over the next few months. Times film reporters Amy Kaufman and Travel Anderson joined me to talk about the issue. Amy had visited Lady Gaga at her home in Malibu to talk about the anticipated new version of A Star is Born, while Travel spoke to actress Cynthia Erivo about her roles in Widows and Bad Times at the El Royale. Travel also spoke to director George Tillman Jr. about The Hate You Give. And I conducted a roundtable with five female directors who all have new films coming out via Netflix and three European filmmakers whose new movies are all set in America. Let's listen in. And now, Amy, you had, I think, a particularly exciting experience in doing your piece for the Sneaks Package that you, first of all, got to see the new version of A Star is Born, and then you interviewed the star of A Star is Born, Lady Gaga, and it was an unusual interview. Tell me a little bit more about it. Well, it was at her house. So, I mean, in our jobs, we get to interview people at their houses. I would say, what? Okay, you've done it sometimes, right? You yeah. Guys, yeah. Yeah, like, for sure. Every, like, few months, you get a cool interview where it's a little bit more personal. But Lady Gaga's house was like, whoa. Was it a now, mansion? talk me through that a little bit, because did you request? Like, I, to me, it's always funny where, oh, this is happening? Like, I, I'm always shocked when I end up in a famous person's house. Yeah. And so did you ask for that? How did that happen? No, I didn't ask for that. But, you know, um, of course, it's not surprising to anyone out there. It's not easy to get an interview with Lady Gaga, even if she is promoting a big movie. So we went through many negotiations with the studio and her people. And, you know, um, can we photograph Lady Gaga was a big question because she does these huge cover shoots and she's very in control of her image and her look and wants to look a certain way. And, you know, for the LA Times, we we don't Photoshop things. We don't um, necessarily have like lights and and wind fans and all these things that like, you know, Vanity Fair and Vogue have. So we just show up with a camera, maybe a backdrop and, you know, <laughs> 15 to 30 minutes, good old newspaper portrait. But they did agree to um, do the photo. And so I think to make her feel more comfortable, they were like, let's do it at her house in her garage. And since the photo was happening there, I just got to tag along, I think. And now before we get into a little bit more about your interview, tell me just about a Star is Born. I mean, it is the directorial debut of actor Bradley Cooper, who also co-stars with Lady Gaga in the film. But what is it about this story? I mean, this is the fourth telling of the A Star is Born story. And what is it, Amy, that you think it is about this story that kind of filmmakers and it's like every generation gets on A Star is Born? And why do you think that is? Yeah. So before the interview, I went back and I watched the prior three versions, the first of which um, was from the 1930s. And it started out as a story about, you know, it's like kind of a classic. When you watch it, you realize like, oh, this maybe helped create that like girl off the bus, like wanting to be a star trope, because that's very much what it is. It's like a girl from the Midwest who saves all her money to come out to Hollywood and try to make it as an actress. And she lives in like a 
seedy motel kind of place and like has really crappy jobs. And then finally, while waitressing or something, you know, working in a catering job, she runs into this huge movie star who sees some glimmer of something in her and wants to help her career. And this star's career himself is kind of on the wane. And as the uh, incarnations progressed over the years, it turned from a movie star into a rock and roll musician um, that he discovers an aspiring singer. And so that was the last version in the 70s with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson and now with Bradley Cooper. He is, again, this sort of like aged, dirty looking, but still very attractive um, <laughs> rock and roll guy who's struggling with a lot of um, substance abuse issues. And he sees uh, Lady Gaga, this singer named Allie, one name, just kind of like Gaga, just Allie, A-L-L-Y, at a club and he hears her sing and he's just like transfixed with her and like soon enough they're on the road together. I know you've interviewed Lady Gaga before, so I'll try not to ask if she remembered you, but did you did that make you more comfortable going into the interview knowing that you had talked to her before and you might have some kind of rapport or something? I mean, everyone was saying going into it, like, oh, is she going to remember you? And I don't know how you guys feel about doing interviews. Like, I assume no one remembers me. Yeah, especially <laughs> when I, it's like 20 minutes. This was 20 minutes at Toronto Film mm-hmm. Festival last year, like in a hotelish room, which I was very grateful for. But still, like... It's like, girlfriend is not going to remember me. I definitely still do get nervous with certain celebrities we interview. And Lady Gaga is one where it just feels like she's like a presence and she's wearing like 900 inch shoes. And, you know, like she just has a look, a look. And that adds to like the intimidation factor, I think. So I'm glad I had the chance to like get that out of my system last time. And this time, like it did feel... I wouldn't say I was totally comfortable, and I did perhaps pop an anxiety drug on the way over there, but (laughs) (laughs) I survived. Now, tell me a little bit about that. It seems like already, just from the way the the movie has premiered at the Venice Film Festival ahead of when it's going to be showing soon at the Toronto Film Festival, it seems like she is committed to this. She's investing a lot in this movie. What were kind of your impressions from talking to her about the movie? Why does this matter to her? Why is she sort of making this big, you know, step into acting? Yeah, I mean, I think she's definitely going for, I think it's important to her to like campaign for an Oscar. I think that's something she'd actually say she wanted, even though she wasn't that forthright about it. And um, it's also interesting to be, I rarely get to be that like first big interview with someone. And now just seeing her do press at Venice and the press conference, she's already said like, five of the anecdotes that she gave me, like, a million times. Well, one of those, that the first time she spoke to Bradley Cooper about the part that he wiped makeup Mm -hmm. from her face, that is in the Judy Garland version of the movie. James Mason does that. Do you think that really happened? She's someone for whom persona is such a big part of who she is. And then she more recently has had these varying levels of authenticity within the persona that she's creating. Yeah. How much Gaga realness do you think you were getting? Well, it after seeing her repeat some of the anecdotes, I feel less like it was real. But um, listen, like, I really like her. And I it was her documentary last year, um, Gaga Five Foot Two, that made me feel like, oh, wow, like this woman in these crazy costumes actually is very real, has been going through a lot behind the scenes. Stephanie Germanata. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that was really what turned the corner for me. And I'm also like, it's just so weird. I'm 32 and I'm like, she's 32. Like this woman has lived lifetimes. And there were many, you know, you're sitting there and you want to be like, I just want to be like, 
oh my God, like, what's it like to be 32 and you? And like, you know, but I have to be professional. She's the one thing I will say is like, she's, I didn't think she was fake in any way. I didn't think she was like not meaning things she said, but I think she has a message to convey. And she's not what I would say, like, she's not like relaxed per se. She's not going to just bro down with you. It's like, she's here to talk about this. We're going to talk about it. And like, she's going to be straightforward, but it's not like, well, she's also got something to prove, right? Because people were very hesitant when we heard that she was cast in the role, right? And yeah. people were just like, can she do this? Because we know her to be this big personality with the crazy costumes. Can she do something that's stripped down and very straightforward? Um, and yeah. so it seems like she's game for proving that she did it in the film and can do the glamour side of things. The, but the the subdued glamour, right? We don't want her coming on the red carpet at the Oscars in an egg. Okay, you but know? did you see the subdued glamour? Did you see the Venice dress? I did. It was everything. It was like, I'm so here for Gaga's entire award season look. It's so good. Yeah, she's gonna like turn it out and... Um, I don't know. I love that Like everyone's very into her with the reviews. I think it's going to be a good award season for Lady Gaga. Now, Travel, let's talk a little bit about the pieces that you did for the Let's sneaks. do it. That, first of all, so uh, actress Cynthia Erivo, Tony Award winner on Broadway, sort of making a transition now to movies with two movies in the fall. Now, did you interview her in person? I did. I had the chance to. She was in the process of doing um, ADR for one of her movies on the set at Warner Brothers. And so I was able to pull her during her lunch break during that, doing that. Um, so we, we chatted for a few minutes about kind of this transition that she's making from stage to screen, as they say. I can easily say that among those of us on the LA Times film staff who've seen the movie, I think it's easily one of our... I, Speak for myself. It's one of my favorite movies of the fall so far. And so I think this is, and she is someone who just really just pops off the screen on a cast where there's Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth DeBecky, Carrie Coon. It's some serious actresses in this movie. And you really do walk away from it thinking like, who is that? Like mm-hmm. She has a great presence in the she movie. She holds her own very well. And I think for people who might not be familiar with, you know, Broadway or the Tonys, they might not know who, who she is. They might think she's a, a nobody or a, a discoverer. A discovery? That's it. Um, but she's, you know, she's been doing this acting thing for a minute. She went to school for for acting and performance. She she won her Tony for playing Seely in The Color Purple on Broadway. Anyway, but in Widows, she really holds her own in this role that I think a lot of people are looking at Viola Davis specifically because it's 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 a different type of role for her. It's very Lila and Eve. If anybody saw that movie that she did with Jennifer uh, Lopez, no one saw it except me. But but it's in that same style where it's kind of action heavy and it's this these group of widows that are taking over the not so popular crime activities of their husbands who are now dead. And Cynthia Erivo, uh, uh, she's not one of the widows, but she factors into their heist in a very interesting way. Did you get a sense from her of what this transition to movies means like for her like like why do you think she's kind of going at this in a big way right now well i think one of the i think the timing just just happened um but she she credits a lot of kind of the access that she's had over the last uh year or so to the color purple the casting director for steve mcqueen saw her in the color purple and apparently told steve mcqueen that hey i think she'd be really great for this role they had a a breakfast meeting one saturday and then three weeks later she got a call saying that she was in a movie she didn't audition didn't have to do anything she just met with him and she was like you know she never expected that i mean she talked a lot about growing up in london where 
you just don't know what opportunities look like for you when it comes to acting of any particular race, but particularly as a black woman and a darker skinned black woman. And so when she, you know, got the opportunity to be in Sister Act when it was over there in London, that kind of was like one notch that she was like, she didn't think anything would become better than that. And then when she did The Color Purple in London, she was like, oh my God, this is really amazing. And then they brought it back to Broadway. And so there's just been these, you know, up, up, upper movements that have slowly been happening and so she's really kind of just taking this moment all in um, and just kind of like trying to be very grateful and thankful for the moment and then did you get a chance to actually like watch her in the ADR session so no I didn't get to see her but I could hear her they had me in like a holding room while she was you know doing what she does in the studio Um, but they left the door open where the director and the producers folks were like listening in and giving her feedback so I could hear like the movie playing which scene she was doing I could hear her her voice recording over it Um, it was actually kind of interesting but I didn't get to physically see it because that's a part of the filmmaking process that I find really interesting just because it seems like one of the most wildly unnatural things you could be asking someone to do of like sound like you did when you did this thing like six <laughs> months ago and if you were out of breath be out of breath or whatever it is. I just think just that yeah. part of the process seems like such a weird and challenge. that's exactly what they do right I guess we should also say that ADR is, is when they go back in a studio and they record certain lines um, automatic dialogue replacement I think that is what it's a stand. That's what Google told me one day. Google could be wrong. But it's it's one of those things, like you said, that you don't think has to happen, but like every movie does it. But it's also like one of those opportunities where the star is able to be in like sweatpants and a t-shirt, right? They're at work, but like they don't have to do the the, the glam. Um, but it was really interesting just to like hear the director and the producers say, you know, could you there were a couple lines where they kept saying that they could hear her natural accent, she's British, come through in this character that she plays in this movie. This is the uh, Bad Times at El El Royale movie. She plays a Southern singer. And so based on how she would say certain things, they could hear, they they didn't hear a Southern black woman, they heard a British woman. So they were like, okay, we can hear your accent a little bit. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And she'll go back and she'll do, do do it again injecting the southern drawl it was just kind of really interesting to like i said i didn't get to see it but to hear the and the the different ways that they kind of go about doing that and fitting it up and matching it to the scene that's happening it's really interesting wait mark we've been talking so much what did you write for snakes uh i wrote two uh, separate stories one of them it was a little bit of like an arranged marriage it was it was a an idea that you know we had with one of our editors and i wasn't really sure how great it was going to be and it turned out i thought really well that there were five female filmmakers who all, um, Haifa Al-Mansour, Susan Beer, Sarah Colangelo, Tamara Jenkins, and Nicole Hall Center, who all have new work coming out via Netflix. Four of them were actually financed by Netflix. One of them was an acquisition. For the most part, these women did not know each other. They got together on a Sunday afternoon at the Netflix offices on Sunset Boulevard here. We took some photos of all of them. We did these short kind of video interviews too. And you could see that they kind of, you know, they didn't really know each other well. Tamara Jenkins and Nicole Hoff Center know each other a little bit. And so as we sat down and had this kind of roundtable conversation, it was interesting to see them feeling each other out, kind of genuinely agreeing and disagreeing with, with each other on some issues, talking about, you know, being women, trying to make movies, their feelings about working with Netflix as a, as a company, and then about some other things too. And there was actually one section of the conversation I was really interested in when both Tamara Jenkins and Nicole Hollis Center talked about the way in which their movies 
could be interpreted as sort of just kind of white people problem movies and how they they sort of grapple with the ideas of diversity and representation given the movies they make and the stories that they tell. And so how that maybe changed how they've thought about background casting, how it makes them a little bit more aware of some of what they're they're doing, but they still feel like there's an authenticity to those stories that's like worth sort of telling. So that that I, it's funny that that story I think turned out really well and it was kind of a unique experience having this round table yeah even I think though, it like, sounded I so would... fun you were when you first were you're like oh i'm so stressed i have all these people and like it was awesome well it was, i mean it was hard because as you know when you do that it's like you have to be ready for like essentially five mini interviews like to talk to each one kind of one-on-one and then you're trying to figure out well what can i ask to sort of game them into like interacting with each other and you never quite know like who's going to be more vocal, less vocal. And this was interesting because there was an interesting mix even just of in their sort of experience levels. Sarah Colangelo, uh, who directed a film called The Kindergarten Teacher, she won the directing prize at Sundance this year. It's only her second feature where someone like Suzanne Beer has been, you know, she's won an Emmy, she's won an Oscar. She's really been directing for quite a while and has a lot of experience. She's actually a governor of the Academy now. And so it was interesting to see them them kind of interacting with each other, even based on like their experience levels. And we're about to walk right into that. We're heading to the Toronto Film Festival oh tomorrow. God. Yes. A lot of big groups coming through our studio. And that's a great uh, point for us to pivot, just to quickly talk about Toronto for a moment. That, um, uh, Amy, what are some some of the movies that you're maybe most looking forward to up in Toronto? Well, I know you will be sh- stunned onto the floor with surprise. <laughs> but First Man, Damien Chazelle's film starring, who else? Ryan Gosling. I'm really excited because it has gotten such great reviews, and um, obviously I am a Ryan stan, but I'm excited to see Damien take on a different um, film tonally because Whiplash and La La Land were, of course, very different. And then the story about Neil Armstrong um, and his moon mission, you know, it's like very somber, really different for him. So I'm stoked about that. Um, obviously, I want to see Gaga's fashions up there. Um, That's all I care about. Obviously. <laughs> and a movie I really liked and I want to see the reception on is a documentary called Free Solo. It's about this, um, the guy who like climbed up El Capitan in Yosemite like with just his hands and feet. It's called Free Soloing. Um, it was that crazy guy who, like, you know, he almost, you could die very easily doing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it follows, like, why would this guy do, like, why is he driven to do such psychotic things and like it's fascinating it explores like that his amygdala does not get stimulated they put him in an mri and his amygdala in the brain doesn't get stimulated from many things like he needs a lot of stimulus to like so he needs to feel up. like he's going to fall off the side of a mountain <laughs> exactly. in order to feel stimulated and gotcha. his girlfriend is like please don't do this it's fascinating so i think people like that one what are you into um i Luckily, have seen a lot of the movies that I I'm most interested in already. Um, the Hate You Give is is one of them um, that stars Amanda Stenberg uh, as it's a young adult book adaptation, Black Lives Matter book as they're calling it. Um, but wait, basically, she witnesses um, one of her high school friends gets shot by police, and it kind of catapults her into activism. And so it's that type of story. I'm interested in seeing that. I'm interested in seeing. I know if uh, that movie you did interview the director for that George Tillman Jr. Yes. for Snakes and now did you the, it's interesting to me George in particular I feel like it, he's almost grappling with the idea that he made an adaptation of a young adult book <laughs> that he it's almost as if he kind of is still figuring that out like the movie has a really interesting tone to it and that it 
does feel like the movie version of a young adult story, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make it unserious in any way. And what what's kind of your feelings? I think it's about- actually very serious, and I think he he and the entire team around him realize that. Um, that and it's very serious because you know we see. Black men in particular getting shot and gunned down, unarmed black men getting shot and gunned down by police in real life. And so it's literally, you know, we've said that a a number of the films that have come out this year and will come out this year are very much like uh, pulled from the headlines. But this one literally is pulled from the headlines. It's it's no inference or references going on. Somebody literally gets shot by the police and it's about the kind of movement and activism around that. And so for George, as a black man telling this story that centers a young young black girl. I think for him, he was just like, I'm not going to treat this like a young adult adaptation. I'm going to treat this like a like a quote unquote adult movie, I guess. And and kind of deal with it with the severity and the seriousness that we should be telling these particular stories. And so it's something that is definitely, I guess, geared toward younger audiences. But adults and, and folks of all ages, I think, can take something away from it. And are there any other titles that you're looking forward um, to? I was just going to say, uh, Widows, as we mentioned earlier, I'm more so interested to see how more people respond to a lot of these movies that we've already seen. Right. Because, right. like, I may love it, but, like, the broader audience might think it's trash. And then I'll just also say If Beale Street uh, Could Talk by uh, Barry Jenkins. Which is one we, like, truly... For, there are a few movies that, like, that and... Um... Oh boy, I raised a guess. There's a few movies where like no reviews have come out. Yes, yet. very, very few. That because that will be a world premiere at yeah. TIFF. Um, and so, and it's it's his follow up to Moonlight, similar to Damien Chazelle with with First Man. People are just interested to see what's next. I'm interested because this is the first time that one of James Baldwin's works has been done in a a narrative feature format. Because the James Baldwin estate is just like historically anti any of that um but yeah i'm still just very interested in in it and the cast i think is uh really amazing with a couple quote-unquote discoveries in there um so i'm really excited to see that mark and your curtain raiser you wrote all about how political these the films at the festival feel this year right yes yeah that i mean i think that it's interesting where you know right from the very first programming announcement that came out for the festival this year they were mentioning like, oh, this feels very charged. The films have like a edge to them. They're political. So a lot of them are sort of darker in tone. And you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then we, because they always got to come up with some kind of theme. Yeah. And then we've been watching movies. Things have been coming through. And, you know, even stuff from Midnight Madness or the, the platform section, like it's true. Like these movies just have a sort of an electricity to them. They all just feel engaged in a way. And so I think I think this is going to be a kind of and then also the festival, there's going to be a a women's rally during the festival. There's going to be a few other kind of like socially aware events that are happening throughout the festival. So I think there's going to be something just really sort of more electric and exciting about this year's festival. And then there also will be tons and tons of other movies. I mean, I think there was a movie that just recently premiered at uh, Venice, uh, filmmaker Brady Corbet. His new film, Box Lux, that has uh, Natalie Portman in it, playing like sort of an aging rock star. And then the, also the new film from the French filmmaker Jacques Odiard, The Sisters Brothers. That's his first film in the English language that's got uh, John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix. And actually Claire Denis also has her first English language film, High Life, that has Robert Pattinson in it. And so I just think there's so many uh, just really exciting movies that we're going to be seeing at Toronto. And we're actually— Don't gonna- be Joe! 
<laughs> we are going to be doing sort of a, a mid-fest recap where we're all going to be convening there to uh, to talk about things. So hopefully, everyone will hopefully listen along as we... Maybe Lady Gaga will be there. Make our way through. Maybe not. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, so, Travel, where can people find you online? You can find me on the internet. I'm on Twitter at Travel Anderson and on Instagram at Rayjean, R-A-Y-Z-H-O-N. Amy? I am at Amy K in LA and follow me for all of the most beautiful pictures of these celebrities on the red carpet this season. And you can find me at Indie Focus. So for The Real and LA Times Studios, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.